UK Motor Talk. Well, hello everyone. We are back, back again, back once again with the Renegade Podcasters. Uh, I'm Mike. I'm uh, I'm Jim, and I think I'll try and uh, flirt slightly less with copyright laws if I can this evening. <laughs> I'm Dave. The lawyers are listening. How are we? Uh, not too bad. Well, I've, I've I've been quite happy this week because there's been lots of Formula One stuff going away. Actually, over the last couple of weeks, we've had uh, a few livery reveals and launches and things haven't we and they've been back on track so even though it's not televised and it's not an official test formula one is back so this uh, this makes me happy this yeah. is true and we've we've seen some of the well i say some of the they've seen the liveries we haven't really seen the cars though have we because this is this confuses the absolute hell out of me we've sort of seen the this cars is, but yeah, they might as well of. have just painted the back of a teaspoon and shown us that. There were some that were renders of the actual car, some that were early renders of the first mock-up that they did. Others were just the show car in the livery. But just to, 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 we have seen some of them pelting around the track now in the odd uh, promotional video of, uh, of all the team's YouTube size, you know, the 100 kilometres of, uh, of promotional filming that they're allowed to run on control tyres and things like that. But the on, on track, bloody hell, they look good, don't they? I mean, it, it's just they, they look different, but they look massively different. You know, normally in the run up to a regulation change, all the cars will look massively different, massively different. After about three minutes, you forget that they look different. These look quite strikingly different. And, and I think a, a little golf clap for all the livery designers this year, because they putting the, the Husky aside, which is uh, just, I mean, it's, it's the Russian flag, but just tilted a different way to, uh, to last year. The Red Bull kind of is what it is. It's the Red Bull colours. But the Aston Martin, God, that looks good. The Alpha Tauri, God, that looks good. I like the Williams. I, I think that looks that looks better on the track than it does in uh, in the still pictures. The Ferrari looks good. I mean, to, how you can make a, a Ferrari livery look bad, but they seem to have managed it over the last few years. But God, that looks good. The Mercedes back to silver. So that's, you know, a change is as good as a rest. So that looks good. The Alpine, blue and pink. Not quite sure, but still, still looks strikingly different. But the McLaren—that's—I I think that's one of my favourite liveries of all time. I mean, it's just you know, retina burning, day glow bright orange. That you know, if mm. if a car that looks fast is fast, then I think a couple of quid on a McLaren driver to win a championship this year is is not a bad shout. Invest at your own risk. The value of your investment may go down as well as up. <laughs> It does look good. I, I'm I'm just looking at the picture of the McLaren now. I I think I said this on the WhatsApp group. I wish they'd have the courage of their convictions and just make it pure papaya orange like they used to in the. You remember in the old um, the tests when they were still running the West livery, which was silver and grey, and yes. one of the most gorgeous liveries in my estimation. I am a bit biased, but it did look good. You know, does look right, goes right. It was good demonstration there. Um, they used to do their you know out of season testing in McLaren papaya orange, which was obviously McLaren's original colour when Bruce McLaren's name was still over the over the door as well. And they looked yeah. fantastic. And I used to think at the time, God, it would look good if they did that. And they're almost there. All they gotta do is just get rid of that little bit of blue and, and we're good. We're good to go. I like the blue. I like the blue. There's that there's a it's a modern twist on 
on the golf livery, which I mean, the the golf livery from Monaco last year looked phenomenal. Oh, yes. blue, the blue and the orange just seem to go together. But it's I think just on first glance, that McLaren is one of my favourite Formula One cars of all time, and I haven't seen it in real life or or properly on track yet. It's it's phenomenal. They they do look good, and again, just looking at the pictures, I think I'm starting to come to the conclusion they're looking a little bit like indie cars of old to me. I think it's a low wing at the back more than anything else that's doing it, and the fins at the front, the the front wing, the pointy wing, mm. it's, it's the looking winglets. a bit winglets. I it's almost indie car if you remember that that long back IRL. Um, you remember the cars when yes. they had that falling out for a little while. It's a bit like an amalgamation of both, but the cars look far less awkward than they ever did. They've got n- nice long swoopy noses again, rather than horrible step broken noses and bulbous protrusions and all sorts of unpleasant looking phallic things on the front. Definitely an improvement. And if they look as good as they're going to go with all the new aerodynamic developments and things that we're now undoubtedly going to talk about in the run up to the uh, the new season, then. I might even start watching again. Who knows? <laughs> it could be that good. I think the the you say the the low front noses looks looks nice. There's a bit of ninety three ninety four style car, you know, ninety four mm. Williams that kind of thing about them. Actually, if you view them side on, they're pretty much drawn with a slightly squashed protractor, but with a little hole cut out in the middle for the driver <laughs> to sit in, and the front's a bit lower. It, it just seems to to flow that bit nicer. But the rear wings look phenomenal as well. But I I still haven't seen a proper rear wing up close enough to kind of see how it adjusts. And I was watching the McLaren shakedown promotional footage and, and the DRS opens, but it, it just looks like it's not connected anywhere so that it just looks like it's one piece and then when it opens up the the gap on the side is so thin that you think it's it's fallen off and then it just suddenly appears again they do look impressive and i think yeah losing all the uh the the barge boards and everything that that was in that random gap they left in the regulations between the front suspension and the side pods where where everybody just went nuts they look a hell of a lot cleaner for it yeah Um, yeah i think it's been a the uh the only livery we haven't properly seen or seen at all is the Alfa Romeo isn't it they've kept that still in the camouflage uh, which uh, which looks good and I like different liveries for testing I quite there's something about that because it's again it's just different the black Mercedes when it came out I like that now it's gone back to the silver I like that and it reminds me how good the silver was but with a bit more cyan on it this year to uh, to make it pop a bit more but it's it's I think it's all looking good and the fact that all the cars actually look quite different and there's a lot of different philosophies there's there's a potential for an upset or two I think yeah the the new alpha is going to be very interesting I was um, I was sent a picture by one of my um friends who is a oh, sorry ding Apologies. One of your friends who is a what? It's my other computer. That's the one that we don't. It's the one we don't talk about. I shall mute it. Um, I uh, know somebody who is within the team who does a certain job. I won't go into too much detail, but he sent me a press photo of his two new charges standing either side of the new Alfa Romeo Tonale, which I think is the new uh, SUV thingy. And uh, I was saying, God, these new regulations really are coming up with some different designs, aren't they? But, <laughs> you know, it's a good-looking car, actually. And I'm sorry, not just trying to change the subject from Formula 1. It's a good-looking thing, and I think we can probably discuss that at length at some point in the future once we know a little bit more about it. But, yes, Alpha, they're the only ones we're, we're left to see. Um, 
I quite again. I quite like the um, the camo design. I think somebody could perhaps have the the guts to do that one year and see what sort of unpleasantness it causes in um, the vision mixing department of various OBs around the world. Trying to trying to focus on that on on ultra high definition, your eyes would bleed. I must admit, it did uh, it did look a bit odd. There was there was one of the drivers pulling out of the garage. I couldn't. I think it was uh, it was Bottas. But yeah, it was, at first it was like, oh, there's nobody in it, and then you just saw the visor moving, and then it really spun you out. <laughs> the fact that it was all just blended in as one, it did. It did actually look quite good. And the, you know the the camo bull livery that Red Bull ran a few years ago. There was that Twitter campaign, wasn't there? You know, race the camo bull, and it's like okay, it's, it's just different. It's you know, I get the the brand identity, and you know, Red Bull is Red Bull, and those are the colours. But you know, mix it up ever so slightly, or do do more one off liveries. I mean, I still think it should be part of the rules and regulations that once a year all the teams have to run a heritage livery from their past or you pick if uh, if you're a newer team like Haas you would pick uh, a livery from a different team you know if Haas turned up one weekend in Buzzing Hornets Jordan Yellow uh, and Williams turned up in Rothmans or Canon livery or the original white and green livery, you know, just things like that. I think it would, it would look pretty good. Ferrari, you might not notice actually on the basis <laughs> of this year because it's it's a lot more late eighties, early nineties vibe about the Ferrari. Uh, and uh, you know, as I say, how how you can really get a Ferrari livery wrong? It's just red, isn't it? But last year they managed to get it spectacularly wrong. But the red and the black, it it just works so well. If only it had gold wheels or gold wheel covers. Good point. Good point. They did manage to get it quite wrong, I think, during the early nineties when it had that horrible white stripe down the side. And I think that was a a cigarette branding manufacturer led decision. But it uh, didn't really Oh yeah, work the yeah, the, well. the long stripe wasn't good. The 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 cigarette actual logo on the side was absolutely yep. fine. When it when it was that long stripe, yeah, maybe not quite so much, but mm. but then it was odd. A white car with a red stripe down the side, Alan McLaren, worked very well. Yeah. Exactly. Sort of just it did actually look like the fag packet because the the logo on the back wing, as I remember, was like the the red chevron on the top of a packet of Marlboro Reds. Oh, there we go. That's it. Named them, and uh, it did look like a long, very aerodynamic fag packet. Other cancer causing products are available. <laughs> exactly. <laughs> S- send them this way. No, don't please. Flavor Town. Well, to be fair, <laughs> actually, do send them our way because we could sell them. Have you seen the price of a packet of cigarettes these days? Yeah, isn't it like 11 or 12 quid Jesus for 20 or something? Wept. And you oh, can't and buy 10s anymore. No, no, if, if you've got to commit to it properly. You can't just have 10 on a night out anymore, and that'll do you. You have to have double what you would normally if uh, if you're going to commit to it. But Oh, yeah, I think if, uh, if you want a premium brand of cigarettes, so you want the nice cigarettes to shove in your mouth and set fire to it, so yeah, 13, 14 quid now. It's nuts. Oh, bloody hellfire. Does make you wonder where they're going to get all the money from once they ban them, doesn't it? You think about the cost of it. You could lease a decent car. You might be able to get your Tonali, which definitely is going to be anglicised called a toenail, isn't it? Everyone's going to call it a toenail. <laughs> oh, without a doubt. Without a doubt. Yeah. Oh, one of them toenails. I can see <laughs> oh, it now. Oh, I'll have one of them. Stick it on drive. Look, look rather good, that. Yeah, yeah they, I think they're going to sell as many of those as they can make. I'm sitting, there's quite a lot of... Stelvio's around, you know, the bigger one. Mm. There's quite a few around here, actually, but then stockbroker world. There are, you know, people are taking a bit of a risk buying them, but that does have to be said, given their reputation, I am seeing a lot more alphas on the road again, not just the mm. Mitos, which are gradually sort of falling apart and disappearing into the undergrowth, but the, the Puntos, um, oh, the Punto, yeah, Puntos with a slightly prettier face. No, the, um, 
a lot of Stelvios around here, and quite a lot of the higher end. Um, is it the Julia? The you know the saloon. Yeah. Yeah, yeah, the Julian. Mm. Qu- quite a lot of those with the big engine because you can hear them coming from miles away. They're um, yeah, fantastic. They are things. pretty. I, I, mm. I might even, after all those years of um, saying I, you know, I'd never trust an Italian car again. My car's disgraced itself. It's got a dodgy head gasket. So uh, really? it's not always true what they say. It's not on always the, greener uh, on the other side. Yeah, on the Skoda. Yeah, yeah. Apparently, really? it's quite oh, common on quite common on the VR sixes. A lot of American. Um, VW Atlas, which is the people carrier SUV thing that they build in the States. So, yeah, it's built in the States, but it's still the same engine. Mm. Yeah, apparently quite a few of those are um, giving it out. So it's got the whole thing, the mayonnaise, the white smoke, the um, wow. loss loss of coolant. Yeah, it's quite annoying, really. I'm just hoping is it's under warranty. warranty? Uh, it's got a Skoda aftermarket warranty, so it bloody ought to be. I'll cross everything mm. even my eyes. Mm. So that's, um, yeah, quite annoying, but there we go. Anyway, back to yes. Alphas then. <laughs> so you you could potentially have yourself a tone out. Now mm. the thing is with those, that the Stelvio, which I I love as a piece of design for one of one of them, and I, as everyone who's listening who's ever listened to us before will know, we're not really SUV kind of people, generally speaking. Very very. Positive, I was about to say think... we're we're not SUV people, and we've long derided SUVs. But yeah, uh, last podcast, all the podcasts before, I was I was making some funny noises about the Aston Martin DVX. I mean, it was yes, there. you were. The the double oh seven or whatever it was the uh, sounds like James Bond but actually isn't James Bond but to mm. be fair I think that that was justified and and now we're all lusting after an Alpha SUV but it's an Alpha so I think it's allowed isn't it I think it's made the Stelvio look old though yeah, yeah and correct me if I'm wrong here there's elements of the one five nine about it with the, the the three headlamp arrangement but I think it has actually made the Stelvio look not quite so current all of a sudden. Mm. It's not a bad looking thing, the Stelvio, no. even even despite that. But I mean, just talking of um, higher end Italian SUVs, of course, we've got the Ferrari one to appear at some point this mm. year. I guess that is it. I'm going to butcher the pronunciation. Apologies, but is it the Puro Sang or Puro Sang? I can't. But it's it's the big Ferrari SUV, and it's due to appear this year. There's been quite a lot of photographs of them being snapped in um, various camouflage running around bits of Maranello and other places around the world. So it's going to be quite interesting to see what they've come up with. Yeah. Again, we've said about this before, haven't we? There are means to an end as far as I think we're concerned. You need to do it to be able to make the funky stuff. I'm kind of okay with that. But I I, I just wonder whether the same people that buy a a DBX are likely to be the same people that buy a Ferrari. Um, Pure as sang. Tell you what, I'm going to put it into the. Sang, yeah. Yeah. I'm going to put it into Google Translate and find out what it is. Talk amongst yourselves. Put it into that see. that weird TikTok voice generator that's all over. Oh, the narrator <laughs> voice. Oh, yeah, that God. that funny woman who pronounces everything weird. Pure sang. Pure sang. Right. That's uh, from Japanese. Pure blood, isn't it? It mean it means Pure thoroughbred. Blood. Let's yeah. listen to what it sounds like. Puro sangue. There you go. Puro sangue. Puro sangue. Puro sangue. Puro sangue. Puro sangue. There you go. Sorry, Italy. I apologise. That, that, that voice actually sounded like uh, somebody who is trying to tell you how to pronounce something in a different language. They pronounce it three different ways just to confuse you every time. <laughs> That's probably down to one of the one of the speakers being slightly dodgy on the laptop as well. But uh, yeah, it did sound a bit like that, didn't it? Yeah, puro sangue. Hang on, what was it? 
Sangui. There you go. It sounds like a new kind of pasta. And and my apologies <laughs> if that sounds like some sort of casually racist remark. It's not intended to be that way, but it, it does doesn't sound quite right. I think it's because it sounds, in my mind, a bit like linguini. <laughs> sangui. Thoroughbred pasta. Yeah. I like the idea of that. But I'm looking forward to seeing what they come up with. Yes, I know we're not not that keen on the idea of SUVs, but if it lets them carry on making the pretty stuff as well for the rest of us who want to ogle, then, uh, yeah, carry on. Have at it. There has been a leaked picture, supposedly, from uh, inside the factory. With Greg and... Wallace. <laughs> with Greg Wallace. He'd come, fantastic, amazing. Go wow. on, blimey, it's a Ferrari. Where'd you get that from? <laughs> <laughs> Uh, yes, every time you click on it, though, now, this, this picture, it, uh, the Instagram link has gone, so somebody at Ferrari's press office has probably threatened them with a head in their bed or something. Like that. Yeah, shouldn't, the, the pictures shouldn't be out yet, should they? No, no. It, does look, it does look a little bit, from the pictures I've seen, like a bit of a jacked-up um, Ferrari Roma. The lights yes. front and back look very much like that, in the same way that uh, Porsche's uh, Cayenne or Cayenne, whichever, was looked like a 911 of the time on stilts. I suspect there's a little bit of that, but it doesn't look too jacked up, which is interesting. So, well, you know, cake and eat it time for Ferrari. There's some, there's some very familiar styling cues that you'd, you'd probably expect. Like, say, you've got the tail lamps, the Corvette-style Roma tail lamps. At the front, you've got the top part of the one, it looks right. The bottom bit, something's not quite... I just can't put my finger on it. It's a bit like, do you remember the old Volvos that had the grill below the bumper? Mm. It was sort of upside down. And it just, although, yes, it kind of works for Romas or whatever, where you've got a slightly lower nose, not sure it works on an SUV. And then you've got the standard SUV bits, which are different coloured wheel arches and the pinched insides um, due to the trims at the bottom of the doors, that kind of thing, to try and make it look a bit sleeker. It. It's, a, it's an attractive one of them. Yeah. Uh, you know, there's there's a nice little uh, touch where the, the wheel arch bulges just over the top. Um, yeah. The wings, that is, just over the top of the wheel and the wheel arches. And that I like. It's it's showing, yes, this is something slightly different, a bit more jacked up. That's the that's the jacked up bit. The rest of it is Ferrari as you know it almost. It's was just trying to say, yeah. there you go, a nod to what it really is. But for the majority of the time, you're going to be herring around country lanes in it like everybody else would. So... Yeah, interesting, interesting look. These, these, I think, are going to be owned by footballers and possibly by people who, for whom this is not their second or third Ferrari, probably. Um, it, it makes sense if you want to move the family around, I guess. But if you wanted to do it quietly, I suppose you'd probably use a Range Rover. And I reckon you'd probably get away with using a DBX if you wanted to, because I think there's still that element of class um, and less the element of ostentatiousness of something like the Bentayga, which... We have seen some some interesting versions of, including those that have been, um, what's the correct term, modified by Mansouri and alikes. <laughs> There's another word you could use that begins with an R, but I won't use that. Mm, rooshed. Roofed. Rooshed, probably. Yes, <laughs> rooshed. That's it. If you'd like your leather to look a little bit like a ball bag, there's your opportunity. <laughs> I, I don't really get roost leather. It's just, what, what is that about? You're not a Mansori customer, though, are you? Uh, well, no. Um, there's, there's definitely not enough, uh, not enough zeros behind my name, I think, to, to be a Mansori customer and certainly to spend the sort of money that's required to make um, one of the unique versions of, of vehicles like the Bentayga with its... and Right. I, I might get shouted down for this forged carbon. Okay, a lot of people like it. For me, it's not my thing. It kind of looks a bit like you know when you get a laminate worktop, 
and it's the black one with the silver bits crushed into it. In fact, this is what my worktop is like downstairs. At home now, I didn't do it. It looks like this forged carbon. It's not for me. I like the sound of your uh, your worktop. I mean, what I I have a carbon fibre fetish, as you know. And you uh, would have a carbon yeah, fibre toilet if you could. In fact, we saw a carbon fibre toilet on a boat, and you decided, and you got all horny over it. I did. Well, I, t- I did when we were uh, moving into the house, and obviously, you know, one of the first things you do if you're moving house is a change a lock and b buy a new toilet seat, uh, mm. and in my case, rip up all the carpet and douse the place in bleach but it was uh no we were looking at uh toilet seat i i nearly persuaded the missus to get a carbon fiber toilet seat but not quite she said it wouldn't quite go with the decor so uh i think if we did uh if i had my own ensuite or if we you know moved house and had a big mansion we had his and hers bathrooms and his and hers dressing rooms mine would definitely have a carbon fiber toilet seat but i'm not i'm not sure i'm forged carbon i think it's I think it's easier to do. If you want to DIY carbon something yourself, you just cut the carbon into little strips and blob it on with resin and blob a bit more resin on and let it dry and sand it and polish it and off you go. But for for me, the part of the appeal of carbon fibre is the strength and the weight saving and what it can do compared to other materials. Whereas if you forge it, it's it's only as strong as the resin. There's, I don't think there's... I could be wrong, but I don't think there's any actual strength in it if you compare it to proper carbon misses the point really doesn't it and um, just yeah thinking about your butt rogers toilet uh, is the problem there though that if you wanted the carbon fiber seat you wouldn't be able to get a self-closed one because there's not enough weight in it for it to pull itself down oh that's a good point and you'd be yeah. in trouble with the missus because you never leave the lid down and all that sort of thing. if i put Maybe some of the uh, down. the the really heavy uh material that the f1 teams use for ballast is I, I forget what metal it is but it's just this incredibly dense uh metal you know so much so that some a weight the size of a tennis ball you struggle to hold in one hand it's so heavy and dense but it means they can put it lower down than where they want it so you'd have to weigh the toilet seat down with a few bits of that wouldn't you so yeah your toilet seat would end up costing i don't know the best part of twenty thousand pounds but you'd have yeah you'd have to weigh it down so it closed but i'll tell you what though nothing gives you as much of a shock in your life slight tangent is when you expect a toilet seat to be soft close and it is. Oh, yes. There's, there's no, I don't think there's a louder noise to it. I've been in car crashes no. that have made less <laughs> noise than closing a toilet seat that you think is soft close. I've been flashbanged and it makes less noise than that. And you, but when you come around, all you've got is just a noise. It's like that. And it's usually as well when you're in a, in a public toilet and you've just sort of dropped it like you would at home and then it suddenly. Ah, now I've got to go out and face all the other people that are standing outside waiting to use this one. They're all now laughing, going, that's the tosser that didn't know that it wasn't a soft closed oh, toilet. Oh, no. Wor- worse than that, it's, for me, it's always when you go around to a friend's house and they've got a baby they've just put to bed. <laughs> that's, that's when it happens. And then the bang, when it drops, it sounds... Have you ever seen someone blow up a building? Or I, I watched the, um, the chimney at Shaw and Power Station come down. That made less noise, slightly more dust. But even so, it was just, oh, the, the noise. Anyway, how do we get onto this? Carbon fibre. Yeah, mm. Our friends at Mansori, they have a fetish, as does our colleague there, but they have a slightly different fetish for a different sort of carbon fibre than, uh, again, our colleague does. He likes the pure version of carbon fibre rather than the chopped up and slammed together with mm. some yuhu glue. I wanted to hear your opinion on this because I wonder if I'm alone as a pet of carbon fibre. I really quite like it as an accent. I quite like it when it's it's painted and you can see the weave through it. Think F40, 
think Zonda. I don't like raw carbon fibre as an entire body panel. So when you see a car, a friend of mine, for example, has fitted a carbon fibre bonnet on a car. And it just reminds me of, of my youth when people couldn't get a bonnet, so they just had a black one. It's sort of the black primer. I, I can't, I just can't get on with having carbon fibre body panels. I think it looks, despite being really expensive, cheap. Not a huge fan myself, I have to confess. I do like the seeing it through the, you know, hinting at it, seeing it yeah. through paint. That's much nicer. Though, ha- having said that, I'm not averse to a black painted bonnet on a car that isn't black because it does look quite cool. Just thinking of uh, various Fiat sports cars from the 60s and 70s. Also, a load of um, traffic police cars up in Cheshire, which were the first people to paint their bonnets of their Range Rovers that patrolled the M6 black because it stopped reflection from the white bonnet uh, coming back at their driver's eyes so they could see where they were going. Little known fact, ladies and gentlemen. But no, I'm not a huge fan of exposed carbon fibre. It has its place, definitely, but it's not necessarily on on an XR3i or something where you've got (laughs) fake effect wing mirror caps or something. No. Is, you're going to see it on an Astra H with in Arden blue or something, but with a black bonnet. It just doesn't look quite right. It's, it, it's kind of okay on a period Capri or something, but it's it doesn't work on a Nova. It it doesn't work on a Clio or something. It's just no, it's just not right. Don't don't get too upset with us, Mansouri. Still send us your nice looking cars. We do like them really. <laughs> Honestly, we do. I think if you're taking uh, taking the idea of modifying a vehicle or improving it or mucking about with it on a monumental scale. I think you can do it far, far better. I mean, I follow Singer on Instagram and just every single post they come up with, every single car they seem to do is just exquisite. And I do Mm. kind of half wonder how much they actually let the owners get involved because, to be fair, I look at them all and I think, well, no way in hell could I do any better than that. So... I think my brief to Singer would just be, these are the colours I like, this is what I like, but you get on with it. Don't ask me any questions. Don't ask me to do anything, because I will cock it up. I will make a complete mess of it compared to what you can do. And just whatever they seem to do, it just seems to work. And yes. where would you like me to leave my wheelbarrow full of cash? Just over there, would you? Oh, exactly. Okay. So where, where, where can I leave my deposit on this vehicle? They are lovely things. They are absolutely gorgeous. But functional... And beautiful. It, they, they have somehow created beautiful engineering. They have. I mean, it's, it's a demonstration that uh, perhaps the adage, you can't buy taste, isn't necessarily always true. I think in this case, you very much can. It will cost you a fortune, like half a million, but money well spent. And they are fetishistic in their detail, aren't they? I mean, it's just there isn't anything out of place on these cars. Everything is absolutely as it should be. And that's. Beautiful. They're like the, I hate to say it, I don't mean to keep bashing Mansori, but they are like the anti-Mansori, which is obviously the point Jim's making. They they make things stylish, classy, tasteful, very, very expensive, but worth spending the money on if you've got it. Mm. There's something about the joy of the engineering in it. And you hear me out with this. It reminds me a bit of Victorian stuff. And by that, I mean, if you've ever seen like the old Victorian steam engines that you know, do pumping or whatever, and the places they put them in the old pumping stations, you look at a Victorian building or a railway arch or whatever, it's exquisitely designed with really nice brickwork, with lots of detail, with care and pride. It's not lightweight and high performance or whatever. But these things are designed 
and by designed I mean designed in a way that they don't need to be they're not just block built buildings like you have today made out of concrete and tin or whatever they've set the test of time and that's a testament to the, the quality of the building but they they look far better than they ever needed to which is why probably so many of them have been converted into houses and flats and everything else civic pride it's almost as if yeah that's that's what singer are demonstrating is civic pride in the engineering yeah the victorians were very proud of what they could do and showing off what the machine i mean this stuff was basically meant to pump sewage but it looked absolutely awesome and all the workings were on display and i I see exactly what you mean i think you're absolutely right it's lovely to see someone who takes such pride in their work that they want to tell the world about it and say come and look at what we've given you even if 99.9 percent of those looking at it will never be able to afford one those that can will appreciate what's gone into it definitely and if you look at lotus as an example here i mean obviously it's a, it, they're not so as expensive as uh, you know as a singer but if you look at the the quality of the bits lotuses are fantastic cars in terms of what they do on track their performance but they're made of bits of old voxel for example or Whatever they're made of bits of all kinds the, of old the, of everything. The current or the older ones are or were. That's I think that's what they've tried to get away from with the Amira, isn't it? Yeah, and the Amira obviously commands a much higher price tag. Mm. But to an extent, they both do the same thing: the Singer and the Lotus. Except for the fact you accept the fact in the Singer you spend a lot more for it being as pretty as it is and being as functional as it is. It's difficult to get that kind of beauty and that kind of function together. And have something that performs so well. Um, you, you'd proudly, I think any tetrahead would proudly own a singer and, and have it tucked in their, their garage or barn or living room or wherever, bedroom. Just a, a beautifully made, beautifully crafted thing. A, a piece of art, really, in terms of automotive design, redesign, refunction. And, and I'm a, a big fan of, uh, of a, a resto mod style of, of development of a car. And, and I feel that that undersells it somewhat because it's effectively a brand new car that looks like the original, incorporating a lot of original parts, but just a quality far beyond anything that Porsche could ever have imagined. I think on the on the subject of, uh, of just looking at it as, as a bit of a work of art, I mean, you'd have to drive the thing, of course, and, and you know, we all say if we owned a car like that, of course you would drive it. But the Definitely. I think the singer would be, uh, uh, you know, one of the contenders for when you arrived home in your mansion with your his and hers bathrooms and carbon fiber toilet seats everywhere you know you'd want the the outbuildings or the attached garage to be all full of cars and a ramp and whatever else to work on them but the the singer is one of the cars that actually i'd like large opening doors so i could drive it into the corner of the lounge or the living room so when you're sat there mm. of an evening having a glass of whatever you can just look at it in the corner uh, again i'm not not sure how much the missus would appreciate that so maybe you need his and hers living rooms or a games room or a a whiskey lounge or whatever it would have to be but it's it is one of those cars you could just sit there and stare at just as much as you could drive it you could almost photo it adjust the contrast slightly and use it as a piece of pop art couldn't you just a simple background color i'm thinking sort of 80s retro maybe tron-esque i don't know background to it or something and just have it as a piece of pop art because in the right colors it it, it could be a cartoon it's so difficult to describe but what a fantastic bit of kit that is modifying a car done absolutely right isn't it i I can't think of a better way of modifying a car than that they also do a line of watches which if you can't afford the um eye-watering 
funds that you're going to need to uh, buy one of the cars or have one of the cars made for you, uh, you can splash out the $55,000 for one of their top range watches. So, I mean, a bargain by comparison. But then, on the other hand, if you've got all that money, you might as well have the watch to go with it. And I'm just having a look. They're they're quite nice, a bit 70s retro looking, which is obviously the sort of the market they're going for with the the era they're harking back to with the 911s that they remake. But um, fifty-one grand is quite a lot for a watch. I think I'm not sure I'd be able to spend that. But can, oh, can you 20, imagine twenty-nine? There you go, cheap one. Can you imagine not paying attention in the morning when you walked out of your his bathroom with a carbon fibre toilet seat into the his dressing room with a carbon fibre wardrobe and the carbon fibre watch <laughs> collection yeah, tray? Carbon fibre wardrobe. Uh, and you put the wrong watch on and then got <gasps> in the wrong singer. Can you imagine it if if you got you know, a couple of hours or an hour into the drive or whatever, and, and you realised you were wearing the Hublot or the Breitling as opposed to the Singer watch, it, you, you'd just feel awful, wouldn't you? I'd be aghast. Well, you'd just be praying that the paparazzi weren't waiting to see you get out of the car at the other end, because otherwise your you'd, social life was completely dead. You'd have to phone your butler and get him to uh, to bring the correct watch to you post-haste, wouldn't you? Yes, mm. get in the helicopter and have it delivered to my arrival, will you? <laughs> I, in my mind, a little scene just flashed past of pulling up at home in, in, in my singer and my wife going, that's nice. What is it, an old Porsche? <laughs> this is true. I, yes. I, I get the feeling that, that we appreciate this. I'm not entirely sure that everyone would. Was uh, if, if it's an old car, was, was it cheaper because it's old? Yes, dear. <laughs> Those that know, know. Those that don't, don't care. That's the problem, isn't it? Whatever you say about any of the nice things you own, you know, my greatest fear is that when I die, my wife will sell whatever it happens to be for the price I told her I paid for it. And that's a, that's mm. what you want to be careful about. Tools, car parts. Nah, mm. That's what you need. One of those boxes on the wall. Break glass in case of death. Right. Here's what things are really worth. Do not sell them for anything less. It's, your, it's you I'm thinking of here. <laughs> something you just said just made me think of something. People that know would obviously care. People that don't know don't care. But when you see, and I'm sure we've spoken about this before, but when you see, and usually it's a 318 or 320D or something stupid, someone's taking the badges off and put M badges on it, or M3 badge, or an AMG badge on the back of your, your diesel Mercedes or whatever, people that don't know about cars won't care because it means nothing to them. The only people no. that it would mean anything to are petrol heads. And it's those same people that would look at it and go, no, it's not. Yeah, exactly. Why would you do They're it? missing the point. Yeah, yeah. You, you're, you're only highlighting the your foolishness to the the very people that you're trying to impress. It it makes yeah. no sense at all. There's a fantastic group on Facebook called Up Badge Slut Shaming, um, which is exa- <laughs> <laughs> which is exactly this, and it's just people sticking stupid badges on cars, the you know Type R badges on whatever back end of a you know your, your Punto or. To be fair, but back in the day, there was I mean I'd um, I'd uh, tried to debadge the golf but then realized and suddenly worked out why they all rusted in the area around the badge because there were two whacking great holes to uh, to hold mm. the badge in and keep it straight so i had to hastily put the badge back on again uh, but a, a friend's metro we'd originally debadged it and then suddenly actually thought oh no let's let's just put all the badges on it so we just it, it became a running joke that you'd buy a whatever badge from whatever manufacturer you wanted, and we'd add it to the front or the end of the uh, of the back of the car. So I think it was uh, at one point it was a Metro uh, Turbo from a Saab, Quattro from Audi, obviously. But I think I think we'd found uh, an all wheel. So yeah, Quattro Quattro four wheel drive, 
as opposed to quattro all wheel drive and then just a couple of other badges that made no sense when they all went together uh old voxels were a particularly good source of that because it was it the old uh, no the old cavalier wasn't it it almost seemed to have the entire options list on the back of it if it had yes, abs, ABS. that had on yeah, it yeah i remember tc that. electric uh... windows elm pas it, it had all the toys so we just used to nick the badges off those and stick them on his so more badges was uh, was the key but to be fair looking at the exterior of the car i think that was kind of the running joke with the car uh, and the fact that it had metro power as a, as a massive <laughs> sticker emblazoned across the back there's, but there's a there's an oxymoron now that'd be because metro it became famous it was one of the most loved cars at college you know more so than the the kids who'd either had rich daddies or won the lottery or done whatever they did to get cars well above a 17 year old's pay grade uh you know they just bought something new and shiny and rather expensive and nice yet yeah, the the metro and Metro Power was held in, in better regard, riding as it did on a, on a glorious set of 14-inch alloys. In gold, no less. Oh, swish. I seem to remember Ford went through a phase, it must be, in the, it was in the 70s, where they were very proudly sticking the word automatic on the boot, mm. where cars were, you know, particularly Granadas, because obviously they were more the sort of car, but <laughs> Cortinas as well. And as a, as a young car enthusiast, I used to spend my whole time looking inside cars to see if they're manual or automatic. It like, oh, it's an automatic. It's got the big T thing. Fantastic. And then you'd look on the boot and it would say it automatic quite often in that sort of italic script. I'm sure it was all, it was italic to start with. And then it became capital letters in the middle of the boot lid. Automatic. It's like, we're proud of this. Don't forget it. Austin used to do that too, didn't they? Yes, it, it's, it seems an odd thing to put on the boot of a car, doesn't it? Because automatics back in the day, Let's face it, they weren't that good, were they? No. Dreadful. Weren't they a bit more aspirational, though, back then? I can afford to let something else do the gear changing for me. I don't, I don't sully myself so much. It's, um, you know, no. look, at, look at me. I can let somebody else take the strain, <laughs> even if it's a three-speed horrible thing that comes out the back end of Dagenham. That's when you used to have, oh, what's the, what's the MPG on a manual? Oh, 52. What's the MPG on the automatic? Four. Half. Ah. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> not very good is it what's the 0 60 oh add seven seconds if you have the automatic no it's the other way around isn't it it's the uh, the flappy paddle gearbox will do it a lot quicker because the computer knows exactly where and when to change and at which point or as you're sitting again oh fluffed it again i'm 0.2 of a second behind god yeah. no you can you you can absolutely change gear in a manual car just as quick as you can in a DSG. No, you can't. The only two caveats for that are you can only do it once and you can only do it in a higher car. You don't want to do it in your own car. <laughs> Bits will fall out of the bottom of said vehicle if you keep doing it. I think there was actually a, a recall at one point for Elise's and Exige's when I worked at Lotus because some over-enthusiastic drivers were snapping the gear levers by changing gear too quickly so we had to fit a, wow. a slightly beefed up model he thought you've you've got to go some haven't you so i did i did I, I tried to do it one to try and replicate it and and you had to give it such ridiculous welly to snap it uh but you could do it but it was it was a bit disconcerting when the gear lever came off in your handcuff was that an official test you were on or was that purely of your own volition to your take out the lanes I didn't. Oh no! I was, I was only sat in the car park. I, was, I just refused to believe that you could do it, and you had to be an absolute gorilla to do it. But the number of people that had managed to do it was quite worrying. Mm. <laughs> oh, it goes above and beyond. Yeah, no, it does work. Yeah, you can, you can break these. Oh. Yeah, you sure, sure about you that, sure Mister Bell? 
No, you, you, so. you always need to uh, rest in peace. We always yes, need to. Uh, we always need to uh, to test the uh, the features of the vehicles, etc. As, as one of our colleagues did at, uh, at work today, seeing if the active city stop worked in the car. Um, didn't turns out it didn't, but uh, no. the less said about that, the better. Uh oh. Mm. But it's it's, t- it's taking the heat off me because he's the most recent one to have a prang in a company car, so uh, I'm quite happy about that. What did they test it on? It wasn't a bus or a bollard, was it? Or a person, uh, God forbid. Mazda three, wasn't it? Yeah, it was a Mazda. It was a Mazda. So it was. It was I mean, it was only very, very light, literally plastic bumper to plastic bumper, and you know the odd fog light and rear reflector fell out but was popped back in and that was it but it was just one of, one of those annoying things but he's been with us for 33 and a bit years and it's the first bump he's had in a company vehicle so he's uh, he's doing quite well it's a good average i think he's too old now before retirement so he'd, he'd have to work into his 80s to uh, to try and stretch that record again so he's uh, he has counted himself out but 33 years is not a bad record is it yeah it's a very good yeah. average yeah other stuff just going back to badges on the back of the cars Things you don't see anymore. 16 valve badges, injection badges, because that was the other thing. It used to be over everything in the 80s, didn't it? Everything had an eye on the end of it or, or whatever. Turbo. And engine sizes. Why, why do they bother oh. with any of these things? Well, engine sizes, is obviously, they've had to start rethinking that. I mean, I'm thinking particularly things like Audi, who've now come up with the, the twin digit thing, like 3525 or yeah. whatever, in order to denote whereabouts your uh, output is pegged in the whole grand scheme of things because it doesn't mean anything anymore and as we go towards electric vehicles it's going to mean precisely zero isn't it literally oh but they've kept that same numbering for the audis for the electric ones nothing's yeah. as confusing as the as the bmw badge thing which I, I think only jim understands yeah i kind of got the hang of the the bmw badging system at one point but i mean the uh, ford engine badging is very easy you've got a choice of one or two and that's it, because they pretty much only make two engines now. There's a one-litre petrol and a two-litre diesel, but they're not really making the two-litre diesel anymore because semiconductors and because CO2. So your choice of engine is one. That one. And that's it. And, yeah, do you want an engine? Yes. Yes. Well, can I have no, those? The choice is, do you want an engine or not? And that's it. But it's... Uh, no, the, the BMW kind of makes sense. It's, you know, it's, it's like a points system you get the cubic capacity of the vehicle in liters uh times by 10 to give you your base level and then you add five for a turbo and then you add five for a hybrid system Look, it's not the football so balls a, is it a two liter BMW turbo with a hybrid one. system becomes a 30 you get 20 points for the engine you get five points for the it turbo and five points for the sense. hybrid it used to be 2002 two liter two door Makes sense. Yeah, it's like, it's like UCAS points. If you talk to anyone who uh, who went to college after Wheel did, uh, you know, I was, I was chatting to somebody. I think I remember needing, I, I forget the exact numbers now, but I think I needed 20 points to get into the university I wanted. I managed to get nine, but because they were so desperate for the cash, I got in. Uh, and, but then I spoke to somebody about the number of UCAS points. Oh, yeah, I got 762. I was like, Wow, either I'm really thick or you're massively intelligent. But they just, it's a bit like Formula One. They just change the point system. You know, it used to be 10 points for a win or 9 points for a win. Now it's 25. Hence, it's made all of the point scoring systems look completely out of whack. And you end up with some very mediocre drivers having scored more points than, than double world champions in their career. It's a bit odd. 
Well, BMW did have, again, I'm thinking back to the early 90s, they did have a bit of a a porky fibbing type thing going on where the 325 was actually a 323 or vice versa. The, there was a 328 that was really a 325. They, mm. I, I don't know, I the can't three, remember exactly Yeah, the 316, the 318 and the 320, were, I think at one point were all the same engine, just... Yes, slightly de-tuned. less or slightly more detuned or choked, weren't they? But yeah, again, it's almost I'm, a oh yeah, we'll, we'll we'll fit a restrictor. So if if we squeeze the intake slightly, then then you lose two points for that. So that's how you get from twenty to eighteen. Yes, so your pecking order in the company car list was uh, kept very much where it should be. You knew your place. So back in the old days, it was the GL GLS thing. Now it's whether you've got a three or a zero or an eight or a one at the end of your your three digit number. I've given up trying to work it out. I just I do remember ages ago. Back now, obviously, electric cars are very much on the ascendancy and are an everyday occurrence on the road. But back when they were very, very new and very exciting. I remember seeing my first Tesla sports car, you know, the one that was basically a Lotus Elise. But with yes, the electric the local gubbins. Too. I remember doing the old car lookup thing to look up the cubic capacity and being absolutely blown away by the fact you said zero. Oh, little things. How could it be zero? Mm. Uh, zero cubic Which capacity. There is, it is. How is it even working? But, but now it's the future. But um, I was just reading somewhere that Extreme E is now looking at ways of racing hydrogen-powered cars, which is a nice departure. And that might actually be an acknowledgement of the fact that electric isn't necessarily the whole future of motoring for us all. It gives you at least a bit of an option. Mm. Wouldn't that be Extreme H? Yes. Who sounds like, who sounds like a wrestler. Mm. Let's just call it Hextreme. Tenacious D. <laughs> no, they're getting rid of D though, aren't they? That's the problem. Extreme. No, I, th- I think it's quite interesting because I think they don't they use hydrogen to actually sort of generate the electricity that they charge up the the extreme E cars with. So it seems like a natural departure. But I think that's going to be quite interesting because I think we've spoken about this many many times before. But I still think hydrogen's got a place. It's just trying to stop it going incredibly bang every time somebody drives into it because their uh, auto-sensing what's-it thing isn't working on the front of their car. So That would be awkward. It would be a little bit. Big hole in the ground. Where was the accident? Oh, it's that crater over there. What used to be Sussex. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> a big hole in it where the Coolfell Tunnel was, <laughs> which in, in itself is a big hole. Anyway, and on that... What is not an explosive device for legal reasons, I think it's probably time to wrap up. So from me, Jim, it's goodbye. Take care. From me, Mike, this is goodbye. And from me, Dave, my echoey shed at the bottom of the garden, goodbye. Take care. See you soon. UK Motor Talk, a first take media production.